Business has always been about turning a profit, making money. But can it stand for something more? Something beyond dollars and cents? We think so. We think that today, business has a higher calling, a purpose to be fair and just, to do right by their workers, customers, communities, and the environment. And it turns out companies successful doing that also do better for their bottom line. When you see the Just Capital seal, it means this company is a force for good. Visit JustCapital.com to learn more. Well, did you know that apparently more Americans than you would think are big fans and are honored when you call them woke? Yes, that's according to this new study. I know you can make a study say whatever you want. But when I saw this in the Kansas City Star last night, I almost spit out my coffee, John, all over the place. I see. No, I've always assumed they've created a a moral badge of honor for themselves a long time ago. They're proud to (laughs) wear that. It's a participation trophy. That's exactly right. And that's what this poll uh, Mm -hmm. shows. I read this yesterday. It was in the Kansas City Star, of course, because the Kansas City Star is sick of getting called a woke rag around town. So now they're like, okay, let's carry a story that justifies how great the word woke is. And that's exactly what they did. This is last night, uh, 634. Headline, what does it mean to be woke? Majority in the U.S. have positive view, comma, study finds. Are these the same studies that found, you know, COVID didn't come from a lab in Wuhan? Is that the same? Probably the same study, I would imagine. Same guys and gals did that study. A recent survey of fact checkers says. <laughs> Let's go to the Washington Post fact checker team. Oh, writing here, seemingly everyone has an opinion on the word woke, a buzzword that has become thoroughly entrenched. But depending on who you ask, it either describes someone who is conscious of social injustices or someone who is excessively politically correct. The term is often invoked as a pejorative by opinion writers and cable news pundits, and it's even the subject of the Stop Woke Act, a Florida law that says it aims to put an end to wokeness that is permeating our schools and workforce. But how do average Americans define woke? Ah, yes, the newspaper guys going for the average American angle. They're one of us, one of the people. It turns out a majority are inclined to use a complementary definition according to a USA Today poll published yesterday, March 8th. I just make a poll, say whatever you want. It's really that simple. 56% of survey respondents said the term means, quote, to be informed, educated, and aware of social injustices. While 39% said it involves being overly politically correct and policing others' words. Uh, You know, I I, I don't know. Something tells me that this audience, if they showed up to work today and somebody said, Hey, are you feeling woke? I'm pretty sure they'd be insulted. And I think that's the case for most Kansas Cityans. This reminds me of a great piece of stoner comedy from an 80s movie, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. (laughs) (laughs) Sean Penn is Jeff Spicoli. He's and berated by the teacher. Mr. Spicoli, why do you insist on wasting everybody's time? <laughs> I don't know. And the teacher's like, I don't know. I like that. I'm going to put that on the board for everybody to see. And, of course, Spicoli thinks it's a badge of honor. Goes, All right. <laughs> We've got woke uh, surveys and um, 
80s movies already by 6.08 in the morning. We're off and running on KCMO Talk Radio. Uh, This poll goes on the note, 78% of Democrats said that woke describes someone who is aware of injustices. 56% of Republicans said it describes someone who is extremely politically correct. See, I don't even think that's a good survey. Because it's not about being extremely politically correct. What being woke is, what being woke is really all about is it's a mindset and it's a lifestyle. When it comes to how you perceive politics in your day-to-day life, that's really how I interpret what woke is all about. If everything you do is through the prism of some crazy left-wing political ideology, then yes, that is woke. That's what woke is. It's not about political correctness. I mean, that's like a small part of it, but it's really a lifestyle. Being woke is a lifestyle. It's a mindset. It's not just saying something that's politically correct. Even the way the polling is done, right, is incredibly disingenuous. Oh, these are just people who like to be politically correct. Nothing to see here. No, 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 no. It is much, much, much more than that. But, of course, if you want to make woke seem like a good thing, because they know USA Today, Democrats and the wokesters, (laughs) they know that they are losing the battle when it comes to the word, right? The word woke has been an incredibly positive thing for those of us who are normal and sane. It's been a way to identify this in a simple word that hits home that people understand. And they don't like that. They don't like it because they're used to winning the war of words. Democrats and liberals have always been better at winning the war of words. And backing groups or people into a corner with those words. Well, now they're the ones getting backed into the corner. And I'm I'm here for it. Now, speaking of woke, um, now that this polls in the rearview mirror, but I just still can't believe it. I still can't believe they're doing polls on how woke is a really good thing. And then the Kansas City Star runs the story. It's just so, so, so on brand. Speaking of woke, uh, old Joe boy is set to roll out. And unveil his budget today. So Joe has not done anything publicly the last two days. Hadn't done a single thing. No one's seen him in two days. Because he's resting up for a big speech today. Where he will unveil his budget uh, for this next year. And likely lay the foundation for his re-election bid in 2024. That is happening today. No one's seen him in a couple of days because, you know, the guy's got to rest up for like two or three days before he gives a 30, 60 minute speech. Like, you know, you you can't just trot Joe out there for a speech if he's been working the last two days. That's way too much to ask. But expect today to see a heavy dose of lies. And I don't mean lies in terms of what's going to be in the budget. I mean lies in terms of this being just an overtly political speech masked as an unveiling of the budget where he'll get up there and say, I'm here to protect your social security and your Medicare. And uh, those Republicans, they want to uh, get rid of all that stuff. That's what he's going to say. And then he's also going to say, what are we talking about? Because he'll probably forget where he is half a dozen times. But this is the soft launch of Biden's reelection today. That's what it's going to be. 
it will not just be him rolling out the budget and talking about priorities. It will be some of that. It is masking as that. But what this really will be is him launching his reelection bid and ripping Republicans in the process, telling you how, uh, you know, they got to take away your Medicare and your Social Security and everything else. And he's here to play Daddy Santa Claus. More like Great Grandpa Santa Claus, but that's what he's here to do. That's what his pitch is going to be. That's what today is going to be about. And um, we will be watching closely as he gets set to do this. At a, Of course he's going to be at a union hall. Ah, just Scranton Joe at the old union hall. Yep, that's going to be him today, John. Over under three minutes on breathing room. <laughs> <laughs> Trying we, to get us all some breathing room. We will get plenty of breathing room. Um, I, you know, we'll have to have Mark talk to his bookies about the over-under on number of times he'll say breathing room. Number of times he'll say, no, I'm serious. We'll get a few of those. <laughs> right. Serious man or something like that. So we'll get a bunch of those, no doubt about it. Uh, but that's happening today. And uh, I'm sure it'll give us plenty of content for tomorrow. But that's that's the big national story to keep an eye on as this day uh, kicks off on a Thursday. Good to be here on KCMO. Second to last chance to get Guns N' Roses tickets coming up today at 845. Don't miss that. Uh, Next, locally, Kansas Republicans have a big vote on um, transgender women, a.k.a. men, being in women's bathrooms, prisons, and shelters. We'll tell you what that vote was, where it stands, coming up next. Well, this was embarrassing. Um, Last night, I'm walking out of the Big 12 tournament. I went for the first game. I watched uh, West Virginia blow out Texas Tech in the opening game. I didn't stay for the Oklahoma-Oklahoma State game. That was going to be way past my bedtime. So walking out after a good night, watching some hoops, got to meet Big 12 Commissioner Brett Yormark, and I got a photo of that up on the uh, Twitter page if you want to see it there, at Pete Mundo. Really good guy, incredibly sharp, incredibly bright. And if you are a Big 12 fan, if you're a KU, a K-State fan, uh, this league, you are in very good hands with Brett Yormark at the helm. Uh, This guy, he's unlike every other conference commissioner out there. He's kind of got a business mentality, a Fortune 500 mentality that he is taking to college athletics. And it is going to be uh, very fun to see what he does here in the future. But anyway, I'm walking out of the tournament and I'm outside, I guess, the north side of T-Mobile. And I'm going towards one of the parking garages. And I cross over the parking garage. uh, 11th and Oak is the parking garage that I was in. And I'm crossing... Um, over to get to the parking garage, and there's a car there. And it's like, you know, a little hatchback car. And on the side of the back window, in, I don't know if it was paint or how they ended up putting this on their back left window. They write here, and it says on the back window, it says, Kansas Cityans killed by KCPD. And then it has a list of probably a dozen people on it. And this guy's driving the car and he's with his buddy in the car. And, you know, I'll leave it at that. But back left window, Kansas Cityans killed by KCPD. They weren't like, you know, trying to make a scene or going to a rally or screaming out the window. It's just like how they drive around town. Now, I don't think the guy could see, you know, uh, his blind spot very well, probably, considering his back left window had scribble all over it. 
But I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, I, you know, free speech, I get it. I'm not saying you get arrested for something like that. But what a terrible look. Now, that was just me. It was 9 o'clock Wednesday night, 11th and Oak. So it's not like a big deal from the standpoint of going around town trying to make a scene with tons of people around. That's not what these two were doing. But it still boggles my mind that somebody would spend their time painting or drawing on their back left window, trying to put together a list of people that they believe KCPD officers have killed. Right? And probably, obviously, not knowing any context of the most of those cases, but just trying to make a political statement. So that story leads me into this story. Uh, Officer James Mulbauer who was killed a couple of weeks ago in a tragic situation. He's patrolling the streets with his canine. A guy blasts through a stop sign. He's going 80, 90 miles an hour. He hits Officer James Mulbauer's car, and he ends up killing him, his canine, and a homeless man who just happened to be an innocent bystander. Well, on Facebook, Cassie Mulbauer, the widow of James Mulbauer, shared a link to a change.org petition requesting a special prosecutor to investigate her husband's death. She does not want Jackson County Prosecutor Gene Peters Baker to prosecute or investigate her husband's death. The petition says in part the victim's family and a majority of the police department and supporters have little to no confidence in the Jackson County Prosecutor's Office, led by Gene Peters Baker and her anti-police an anti-safety mentality to fairly prosecute this case. The petition says the family is asking Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey to appoint a special prosecutor to move the case to a different county. Here's what the prosecutor said in a statement to KCTV5. Quote, there is no apparent conflict in this case. We prosecute teachers, but we are not anti-education. We prosecute nurses, but we are not anti-nursing. We prosecute priests, but we are not anti-Catholic. We will prosecute this case vigorously and ethically on behalf of all victims involved, as we do in all cases. That's a good one. We have no plan to make further comment as this is a pending case. One thing they fail to prosecute too often at the Jackson County Prosecutor's Office is like hard criminals. They struggle with that one oftentimes. That's not something that they're all that good at. Gene Peters Baker's not very good at. Um, So this change.org petition I signed, there are right now 1,383 signatures. I will put this story and a link to it up on my Twitter page, at Pete Mundo. Also, I'll put it up on uh, my Facebook page. Just search Pete Mundo on KCMO. You can get a link to it there. Because I want to drive this thing up. I want to get this thing to 2,000 easily. Easily. And I'm... You know, disappointed at the timing of this because I just had the Missouri Attorney General on the show yesterday to talk about a judge overturning the Second Amendment Protection Act. So uh, we'll see if we can get him on maybe Stigall's show later today or see what we can do. But when the widow and, and all the credit to Cassie Mulbauer, she just lost her husband in a horrible accident, in a tragedy where Jerron Lightfoot, the man who was charged with two counts of involuntary manslaughter, was driving 89 miles an hour in a 35-mile-an-hour zone when he ran a red light. 
And she is up there right now making a point in his honor, in his memory, to point out and to try to get this media locally beyond this show, beyond us, to cover the incompetencies of this Jackson County Prosecutor's Office. Stacking Benjamins with Joe and his good friend OG not only has great financial insight, it's laid back with humor too. The quiet luxury trend is out and loud budgeting is in. Are we tired of the pet names? Yeah, because I'm loud and obnoxious, so this fits right in with me. I'm like, yes, finally budgeting for me. (laughs) I get to walk into a restaurant and go, I'm cheap as hell, and you're not getting a tip. Live from Doug's Budget. (laughs) Find out more by searching the Stacking Benjamins podcast wherever you listen. That's not an easy thing to do. This is a grieving widow. But you give credit where it's due. That she's able to do something to honor her husband beyond just, you know, raising money and everything else. She is able to honor her late husband in a way that I guarantee you, the vast majority, the vast majority of KCPD officers are out there applauding, cheering, and encouraging everybody to sign this petition. 5767710 is how you join us on KCMO Talk Radio. Uh, This petition will be up on my Facebook, on my Twitter page. You can sign it there. I want to get hundreds of more signatures courtesy of this show and uh, really send a message to this Jackson County Prosecutor's Office and also send a message, though, to the Attorney General of the State, Andrew Bailey. Let's go to Stu. He's in Rosedale. Stu, good morning. You're on KCMO. Hey, Mungo. You know, um, people who think that the police are a blight on society and would rather live in an essentially lawless situation without the uh, the, 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 the police, they can't find a better ex- you can't see a better example of what life would be like in such a society than the events of the last week in Matamoros, Mexico where the police essentially take a back seat to the criminal element and the criminal element runs wild. Great point. Outstanding and, point. And, and also just the very name Matamoros, you know, if you know what that name means, I'm surprised that the wokesters aren't up in arms and forcing Mexico to change that name. Interpret that for us, Stu. Well, Matamoros Moros is, is Moors, which is another name for our, uh, Muslim uh, brethren, and uh, Mata is it means kill the Moors. Huh. So okay, all right, interesting. Well, I certainly like your first point. I think that's a very good one. <laughs> one for two, not bad if you're playing baseball. Um, so I'll take that, Stu. Well done. You're right. Look at what happened in Mexico this week. You had four. Residents from South Carolina head on down south the border. One of them was looking for a tummy tuck uh, at a discount. The other three were there just as friends. And two of them end up getting killed because they're in the crosshairs of, uh, you know, gangs and cartels. Or I guess the cartels misidentified their car. They thought it was somebody else. They started shooting up the car. And two people, two Americans, end up getting killed. For the people in this country... Who think that the cops are bad, lawless society is great, all we need are, you know, uh, a few social justice workers patrolling the streets, everything will be great. No, no, you're not living in the real world. 
So then just look to Stu's point. What happened south of the border in that uh, worldwide story that we've been following this week here on KCMO Talk Radio? Representative Pat Proctor, he is a Leavenworth Republican. He's ticked off some constituents up there in Leavenworth, and here's what happened. So uh, Pat Proctor sent out his February newsletter. And in his newsletter, he put a picture of a drawing done by third and fourth graders at David Brewer Elementary School. And in that drawing from one of the students is a uh, drawing of the LGBTQIA plus flag. Now, in case you didn't know this, because you might not be up to speed on the wokeness of today. The pride flag is no longer the pride flag. You know, the rainbow flag, that's not a thing anymore. Now it's the LGBTQIA plus flag. And it's like the rainbow flag, but then on the side of it is a triangle that has the trans flag. So it's the trans flag mixed with the LGBTQ flag. I'm telling you, we're going to run out of colors here. We've got to figure out some you know new colors to create because we're running out of colors for the flags. So anyway, that's the new LGBTQIA+. We also need new letters as well in the alphabet pretty soon, but I don't want to get off on that tangent. So anyway, uh, these third and fourth graders do this library assignment. And the library assignment, it says every student can be, and then you fill in the blank and draw a picture. And uh, this third or fourth grader, I'm not sure which one she is. Her name is Briley. Excuse me, fourth grader she is. Briley writes, every student can be, and then she says, and she writes here, in the LGBTQ slash transgender. Now, I don't know what that means. Every student can be in the LGBTQ plus slash transgender. And then she draws a picture of the trans LGBTQ flag. And she writes underneath the flag, gay, lesbian, pan, trans, everyone is welcome. This is a fourth grader. When I was in fourth grade, like think back to being in fourth grade. If you can. When I was in fourth grade, I was just like trying to play video games. I was just trying to figure out Mario Kart. That's what I was doing in fourth grade. Now we got fourth graders who are like drawing pictures of the LGBTQ flag and talking about how everyone can be trans and everyone's welcome and the whole thing. So anyway, uh, this picture made the rounds because Pratt Proctor, who's a Leavenworth Republican, published the drawing in his February newsletter. And the mother is outraged. Now, what Pat Proctor did is he blanked out and he covered up the kid's name. But a local parent opened up her representative's newsletter and found her daughter's rainbow drawing published as an example of indoctrination in the school system. So Courtney Ricard said her fourth grader drew the picture to show that everybody was welcomed at David Brewer Elementary Library. But Pat Proctor, who saw this photo in the school, took a picture of it, blanked out the kid's name, and included it in his newsletter to point out that, hey, you know what? This is not something we should be having in the schools, and here's an example of what's going on in our Leavenworth schools and why we need to stop this craziness. His point was not to call out the child. His point was to simply use this as an example of what is happening in schools in Leavenworth and why he felt like this is not something coming from parents, but this is something that is coming from the classroom. 
Now, how he proves that, I don't know. I will say this. Do I think it makes a lot of sense to necessarily go in and start posting kids' artwork of fourth graders into your newsletter without permission? I probably wouldn't do that. I would probably say, you know what, that's probably not the best play. I'd rather have evidence of the teacher doing something inappropriate because they're the adults than having pictures of fourth graders' artwork in my newsletter. I do think that from that standpoint, I'm willing to give the parent the benefit of the doubt. But what I'm not willing to do, what I'm not willing to give the parents a pass on, And what I will defend Pat Proctor on, the representative up there in Willow Leavenworth, what I will defend him on is this notion that he goes into an elementary school and he finds a bunch of fourth graders artwork and half the artwork is promoting LGBTQIA plus causes. And it's like, no, 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 no. This is the kind of stuff that's not supposed to be in the classroom, especially not fourth grade classrooms. I mean, like, I think back as much as I can to fourth grade. And I think about the classroom priorities, what we were learning in class, and I cannot possibly comprehend this idea that you have got fourth graders. Not just one, by the way. He just used one as an example. But you have got fourth graders, as he notes, who are in mass drawing rainbow flags and spelling the LGBTQ plus IA plus division sign exclamation point stuff out in their artwork, not just one, but it's happening in mass. So Proctor told the Kansas Reflector, quote, I find it impossible to believe that the assignment was not coached by the teacher. That just is implausible in the extreme. And I agree with him. Brandy Bond is a library aide at the school, and she claims this was a fairly new issue had only begun hearing complaints about book displays and drawings in the library this school year. She said, politics don't belong in elementary schools. Our kids deserve to be protected. Oh, please, spare me that Brandy Bond. Sounds like a fake name, by the way. I kind of learned about politics in school. Yeah, right. that's true, too. That's where you go to learn about Congress and yes. how it's all supposed to work. Yes. Supposed. Yes. And when politics should be in elementary school from the standpoint of learning about the Constitution, Mm -hmm. the Bill of Rights. Yet in the eyes of Brandy Bond, the library aide, who's quoted in this Kansas Reflector piece, which I'll also share on social media, she says that if you suggest that kids should not, not be indoctrinated with, you know, sexualized materials, you're the one invoking politics. No, let's be clear. You're the one grooming That's what you are doing. You want to just play it straight? You're the one grooming. That's what's going on there. Coming up on KCMO Talk Radio, um, Jackson County executives or Jackson County politicians are getting nervous that the Royals can end up north of the river. We'll get to it next. So we told you about this story last hour, and uh, the story here is that Pat Proctor, he's a Leavenworth uh, Republican, He was trying to note in his monthly newsletter um, that there is indoctrination happening in the school system. So what he did is he he took a photo that he saw uh, at David Brewer Elementary Library of a fourth grader who drew a picture of the um, – it's not the trans flag. It's not the gay flag. It's whatever the combination flag is called. And um, he took that picture without the parents' consent, and he used that in his newsletter – 
to point out what he believes to be indoctrination in the school system. Now, I am sympathetic to his broader point, but what I also noted is even if you black out the name and you erase the name, you took the material and the content from a minor, put it out in your public newsletter, and did not get parental consent. I don't know what the law says, but I know that feels icky to me. That feels wrong to me. So we're telling this story, and we happen to have on, and we're grateful for her time, uh, the mother of the student whose picture happened to be used in this newsletter, and her name is Courtney Ricard at Leavenworth, and she is on KCMO. Courtney, thank you for checking in. Thank you for calling the show. Uh, Take us through this story and maybe what we've missed or what you want to make sure is clear about what happened here. Yeah, of course. Thank you again so much for having me. I really appreciate you um, hearing me out and listening to my side. <laughs> um, okay, so um, I actually volunteer at the school a lot. I'm currently the David Brewer PTO president, um, so I am there quite frequently. Uh, I was visiting the school at one of my times I volunteer, and I noticed my daughter's artwork, and I thought it was, you know, beautiful, her inclusive message, my husband's best friend who listens to your show all the time is actually um, in a same-sex couple relationship, and we just are very supportive of inclusivity in our home. Um, My daughter also was recently baptized, and her God loves everybody, so she's just, you know, very um, big into making sure everyone feels loved. That's just who she is. So I saw the picture. I was very excited. I took a picture of it myself, which is the picture displayed on the um, reflector. And then a week later, I was visiting again, and the librarian informed me that our local school board member, Vanessa Reed, um, escorted Pat Proctor, the um, representative of District 41, onto David Brewer campus. Um, And lots of political leaders go into the school to read books to the children, to encourage them, um, tell them a little bit about what they do. But Pat Proctor and Vanessa Reed's agenda was to take a picture of my daughter's artwork. And before I go any further, I would like to tell you that I am insanely bipartisan. I um, have pretty half views on both sides, so Mm -hmm. this isn't a partisan thing for me. Um, So after that, she informed them, like, hey, I I wouldn't do anything with that, you know, picture. That's, um, you know, the student's mom is the PTO president, and I just, I don't think you should do anything with it. And they just kind of, she said that they didn't respond back. Um, so fast forward to just recently, I think it was the 28th of February, the newsletter was printed with my daughter's name blacked out. Um, and I was irate, of course. (laughs) Um, I called the, um, school board immediately and asked to speak at the next board meeting where I wished to address Pat Proctor and Vanessa Reed. And she did reach out to me asking to speak to me. And I told her that I would meet her there Monday at six and we could talk there. Mm -hmm. Um, She did not show up. Pat Proctor did not show up. Um, I addressed them regardless. Um, They had responses to my speech afterwards, but didn't even show up. So um, I am, my frustration lies with, it was used without her consent. I, I agree. Her name was blacked out, but with the threats I've gotten from Vanessa's um, family members since this has all happened, they could have easily gotten into the school, went into the library and found my daughter's name. And as a school board member, she put all of our students at risk and she's supposed to be protecting them and supporting them. And I just feel kind of um, disgusted truly at the whole 
situation. <laughs> is there any resolution from your perspective? Is there something you're looking for? Because you're right, what's done is done. And um, yes. I'm not going to necessarily defend that, as I've noted throughout the morning. But is there a resolution mm-hmm. that you would be pleased with on this issue? Um, you know, mainly I'm trying to raise, raise awareness about the kind of people these are. But my ultimate resolution would be for um, Vanessa Reed to step down from her um, platform. You know, she just she can't put the students at risk like that. It's, um, and she is it's, she is what? A, she's on the school board. She is on the school board. Yes. And she's been asked to step down and. Um, she just, she said, um, that she tried to meet with me and I didn't want to meet with her, but now, I, I don't, I don't know her, so I'm not looking to defend her, yeah. but she's not the one that, that put this in the newsletter. So is your frustration yeah, really with her or with the representative? You know, it is, um, mutually with both of them because had he not been with her, he wouldn't have been able to access this. Um, so she led him into the school and let him. And from my understanding, and this is... But he's the one that ultimately did something that you're upset about, absolutely. right? No, no, okay. you're, you're completely right, 100%. And um, what I want from him, sorry, I guess I didn't get to that point. Um, what I want from him is I want him to be banned from school grounds, being able to go in and take pictures of students' artwork hmm. or them or whatever. And it is your thought, just since this was your daughter that drew this this photo, Courtney... Um, this is not something that was pushed by the school. This is something that your daughter, um, you know, growing up in your household felt strongly about and decided to draw. Absolutely. And if you met my daughter, you really would truly understand. Um, she, she is just very supportive of it. She's an ally. Um, she very much tries to support it. So if anything, she potentially, those other kids could have seen her artwork and drawn off of that, but she told me what her school assignment was about because I asked her unbiased. I wanted to know personally for myself. I said, what did your librarian have you draw? And she said, oh, she said, like, who's welcome at the library and, like, what kind of people are welcome at the library? Everybody? And then everyone was like, yeah, everybody. And then they talked about it, how everyone's included, everyone's invited, people who have handicappedness, um, people who are of different ethnicities, of different countries, nationalities, everything. Um, and so Briley's um, drawing was her choice for that project. Okay, but it was not something pushed by anyone at the library or anything like that. Interesting. Not well, that she said. I mean, I wasn't there yeah. that day, so I mm. obviously can't give you 100%, but um, I spent a lot of time in that school, and I've never once heard a teacher referring to anything LGBTQ to, to, to the students, like ever. Well, Courtney uh, Ricard, thank you, Courtney, for uh, calling in, for being here. And um, we'll keep up and keep posted on this story. And uh, we hope that you'll keep in touch as well. Thanks for checking in. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for listening. Have a great day. You too. That is uh, Courtney Ricard, uh, the parent at the center of this issue, the story at Leavenworth uh, that we've been talking about this morning, where her daughter's photo of the uh, LGBTQIA plus flag was used by a state representative in last month's newsletter. She was not happy about it, and you heard what she wants to see happen. I see what he's doing here. I see. I see what uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom has going on. So this is really interesting. Gavin Newsom is taking a page out of Ron DeSantis's playbook. Now, you're like, what do you mean, Pete, that these guys are complete polar opposites, political... Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, is taking a page at Ron DeSantis' playbook? 
Absolutely. He's just doing it from the other side of the aisle. So everybody has seen Ron DeSantis have an enormous amount of success. And a lot of people are saying, well, it's because he's going after like woke Disney World and things like that. But it started, of course, during COVID when he was right and the experts were wrong. He did not shut down the state. He understood the value of keeping kids in school and educated and in the classroom. And um, he had an enormous amount of success on that. And he was proven right. Be very clear. He was proven right. Fauci and so many others were proven wrong. Now, since then, he's only snowballed this success into other successes in Florida. And then he wins re-election by 20 points after winning it by like half a percentage point uh, when he first ran back in 2018. Now he's a front runner to be the next GOP nominee. It's probably DeSantis or Trump. It's one or the other. So Gavin Newsom, I mean, he's desperately, desperately trying to get that uh, Rico Suave, swift hair, veneer look into the White House. I mean, Joe's already got veneers in the White House. It's not like um, he'd be the first one. I think Trump has them too, actually, now that I think about it. You know, veneers are kind of part of the game these days. But anyway, he wants to get that million-dollar smile of his out of California, into the Beltway, into the White House. That's what he wants. But, like, he can't really do it because Joe's going to run for re-election, it seems, right now, amazingly enough. He's given a big speech today. He's talking about uh, his budget proposals. He's going to basically do a soft launch today for 2024 is what Joe's going to do in Philadelphia. But Gavin Newsom wants to be there for basically the contingency plan. If something happens, God forbid, or if Joe just says, you know what, it's time for me to call it a day for whatever reason, health issues, anything like that. He wants to be there to take over. He wants to be the guy. So he's doing some of what Ron DeSantis has done from the other side of the aisle. Yesterday, it was announced that California is not going to renew a $54 million contract with Walgreens. Now you're like, why is, why is Gavin Newsom, why is the state of California going after Walgreens? Well, uh, it's because Walgreens announced that it is not going to dispense abortion pills in states that have threatened the company with legal action. Now there's like, Walgreens is not doing this because they're pro-life. Let's be clear. Walgreens has tons of attorneys who, for whatever reason, have advised them, hey, don't do this. Not worth the headache. Not worth the potential lawsuits. Just get out of business of distributing and dispensing abortion pills in states that may ultimately end up suing you or coming after you um, or a threatened legal action. Just don't bother. It's not worth your time. So Gavin Newsom, to score some political points, is basically doing the reverse of Ron DeSantis from the left side of the aisle saying, all right, Walgreens, if you're not going to do what we want, which is basically just basically hand out abortion pills on street corners, which is what he would love to see happen. If you're not going to do that, then we are not going to renew our business with you and we are not going to give you $54 million that we give you from the state of California. That was announced yesterday. And then Gavin Newsom put on Twitter yesterday afternoon, he put up, quote, we're serious about not investing in companies that cave to the extremist agenda of the GOP. So this isn't really about what you think about it. Obviously, I would imagine a large part of this audience thinks that Gavin Newsom is a total lunatic and a nutjob. 
and you would be right to make that assessment. Such a nice man. But I don't really care about that because we could sit here all day and say, what a fool, this, that. It's not really about that. It is about that Gavin Newsom sees value in waging a culture war from the left side of the aisle that he believes can further his political ambitions. That's all this is. Because he desperately wants to run for president, he desperately wants to be president, and he believes that this is a great way to go about doing this. And it's an effective way to go in about doing it because he's seen Ron DeSantis have that same success from the other side of the aisle. And by the way, politically, it's actually a pretty good idea. I don't agree with it at all, but politically speaking, I see what he's going for here. It's getting him attention. He's waging that cultural war from the other side of the aisle. And, you know, there's a lot of people, especially the, you know, loonies in California who are going to be like, yeah, Gavin's our guy. And considering that party has no bench, I mean, they have no bench. When your bench is cackling Kamala and Sweet Pete, you got no bench. Gavin Newsom's like, well, I'm out here. I'm a governor. I'm running the biggest state in the country. I'm doing a piss poor job of it, but he's running the biggest state in the country. I would love to see, and this is going to be part of what I'm going to discuss here coming up. Just for sake of not having two 80-year-olds, I would be fascinated by having Gavin Newsom running against Ron DeSantis. You'd have two young guy, younger in politics. I mean, if you're under 60 in politics, you're a young guy. I'd love to see two younger guys going up as governors in a presidential race and letting the American people look at these two states, California and Florida, and say, which vision do I want for the country? You could not have two more different states in terms of how they've been run than California and Florida. And then look the American people in the eye, make the case for those two blueprints, and let's see where the chips fall. Let's see what the American people decide. That would be fascinating to me. This is not about Trump. I'm just saying the conversation around having two massively popular states with two incredibly different political visions and then saying to the American people, which one do you want? I think I know how it would go. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I think I know how it would go. And it would be a really, really intriguing race. And, you know, you wouldn't have two geriatrics, so that's a bonus as well. Coming up, speaking of geriatrics, how old is too old? We had another prominent politician fall yesterday and go to the hospital. I mean, can we get enough of these headlines or not? We'll get to it next. I mean, you got politicians falling all over themselves. It's, it's happening every single day, it seems like. Happy Thursday. Good to be here on KCMO Talk Radio. Uh, yesterday... Uh, well, this was updated today, but Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell was hospitalized after tripping at a local hotel. He was attending a private dinner in Washington on Wednesday last night when he tripped. He was admitted to the hospital for treatment. Mitch McConnell, of course, the Kentucky senator, is 81 years old. We don't have any other details right now on his condition, how long he's potentially going to be absent from the Senate. Uh, and this is this is not meant to be partisan. I guess some of you may say it's ageism, but I don't think it is that either. You've got multiple times when we have videos of Joe Biden tripping up steps, falling off his bike. You know, I mean, it makes for a good laugh, but it's also embarrassing. 
leader of the free world is tripping all over himself. You got the guy who is uh, the Senate minority leader, Republican leader in the Senate, Mitch McConnell. He's now in the hospital because he tripped on a curb or something going to a local dinner. I mean, geez, these guys... They, they just go out for a walk in the park, and they're ended up in the hospital, John. That's problematic, I'd well, say. Well, as a senior member of the staff, I would be interested in seeing a race. Those two guys race down the stairs like slinkies. Yeah. Right? <laughs> boom, 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 boom. <laughs> oh, which one? <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, I'd love to see that. Put them to use a little bit, you know? Uh, but, like, this, at, at what point do we say we've got politicians who the headlines around them and the, where the headlines around them continue to be about how they're tripping over themselves and ending up in the hospital and breaking bones. And, you know, Diane Feinstein, California senator, she's 90 some odd years old, and she didn't even know that she was retiring after this term. Her staff had to be like, no, 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 we announced your retirement. And she's like, oh, I didn't know that. Like, this <laughs> is for the United States. I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat. This is embarrassing. Maybe we could have a politician's combine like the NFL combine in uh, Indianapolis <laughs> that we just finished up with. I think that's a great idea. I definitely want to see the 40-yard yard dash. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 could you imagine? <laughs> Bernie back there. <laughs> Bernie would have the trunks pulled up to his stomach. <laughs> I need to have walkers, though. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, I mean, that would be great. I would, I would give them an NFL combine style system especially once they hit a certain age now i'm bringing this up about mcconnell i do uh, genuinely hope he has a full recovery just like every time joe falls over himself i hope he has a full recovery i'm just you Come know on, man. it's it's every other week i mean the guy falls falling up the stairs it's one thing to fall down the stairs joe's now falling up the stairs that's that's always a problem but i say all this because i'm just i'm so sick of seeing these headlines are these geriatrics who are leading our country, and frankly, they've done a pretty terrible job of doing it here as of late, across the board, it is time to have some type of test when they hit a certain age to make sure that they're just competent enough to do the job. So Nikki Haley, who is one of the few Republicans who has announced um, her bid for president, she said that she wants a, a test for those 75 years or older, just a competency test. And it's one of those things where it's, frankly, the best idea that Nikki Haley's had. Um, and there's not many good ideas coming out of her campaign very early on. But this is a decent one. She has called for competency tests for politicians over 75. And why not? I mean, if I can't have my, my way, if I was king ruler of this whole thing, I would have an age maximum. We have an age minimum for president of 35. I'd probably bump that to 40. And I'd say you got to be between 40 and 75. That would be my sweet spot. But if you want to just do it this way, I'm fine with this way too, which is if you're over 75, you need a competency test. That's got to happen. Now, Jill Biden was asked about this idea of a competency test by CNN. And here's what that sounded like. Nikki Haley, one of the Republican candidates, is calling for mental competency tests for those politicians over the age of 75. What do you think about that? Ridiculous. Would your husband ever take one of those? I mean, we haven't even discussed. We would never even discuss. 
What's up, folks? Anthony Armstrong here. Bob Popple, along with Super Bowl champion Carl Banks. Hey, NFL fans. This is Solomon Wilcox, former NFL safety and host of the Believe in Bengals podcast. Catch my show and all 32 Believe NFL podcasts. Listen in to former players give their inside perspective on your favorite team. Search Believe, that's B-L-E-A-V, on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. It's always football season, wherever you listen. Something like that. I mean, Joe's got all his marbles, all eight of them. What do you mean? We, we, we would be how insulting. I, you, what? How insulting? Half the time when the guy's talking, he, what are we talking he, about? He doesn't know what he's saying. He doesn't know where he is. He has not been in the public eye the last two days as he prepares for this speech he's given today in Philadelphia. And the first lady's acting insulted. Like, oh, boy, how dare you ask my husband to take a competency test? How dare you? No, I think that there's plenty of evidence there. And it's not just Joe. This is bipartisan. I'm not trying to pick on Joe. I started off the conversation talking about how McConnell fell again or fell last night. He's in the hospital today. Again, he fell a couple years ago. That's right. He did. You're right. Mm -hmm. 81 years old. You know, I mean, I think about my grandparents when they were that age. I wouldn't want them, and, and God bless them, I wouldn't want them anywhere near Congress. Would you? Think about the people in your life. Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a grandparent, who's in their 80s, which is what Joe will be, by the way, upon re-election if he gets that in 2024. McConnell's 81. You got people in the Senate who are 90. Is this in the best interests of our country? Put the politics aside. Put the party aside. At what point do we, the people, say enough's enough? We've got example of example of example of how this is not a good way to run the country. Yet we just kind of turn a blind eye and, you know, let the geriatrics run the show, John. And we're here because the system is not working like it was originally intended. Yes, yes. You know? Politics, you give back to your country after a successful career. career. It's not meant to be a career. It's not meant to be a way to enrich yourself. Now you can't get rid of them. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Cockroaches. Yeah. And now people say, well, you know, term limits is the answer. See, I was a big term limits guy, but then some people started talking some sense into me. And they said, Pete, if you have term limits, the problem then is that the lobbyists know the game better than the politicians and the lobbyists run the show. Now, some may say the lobbyists run the show anyway, so maybe that's true. But instead of term limits, what I would rather have Instead of booting a guy out or a gal out at 52 because she's termed out, I'd rather boot somebody out because, you know what, you hit 75, you're done. Go enjoy retirement, go sit on a beach somewhere, go hike in the mountains. But, like, we need some young blood in here. And we're just not going to get it because the system's not built for somebody new to challenge an incumbent. You're an incumbent. You've got all the money. You've got all the fundraising capabilities. Enough is enough. And with McConnell falling this week, he's in the hospital right now. And with Nikki Haley's idea of competency tests at 75, and then Joe Biden, oh, scoffing at the idea. It, t- it takes some pair of cojones for, for the president's wife to, to scoff at that idea. I, 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 did you talk to your husband when he woke up? Did he know what day of the week it was? <laughs> did he know how to put on his socks and shoes? 
And it depends, or I mean, what what's going on here? We all know what's actually happening. Goodness gracious. Five seven six seven seven ten. Our text line is eight one six five seven six seven seven one zero. Is how you join us on KCMO Talk Radio. I, I want to welcome you in because I don't believe I'm a man on an island here, and I don't believe that this is ageism either. This is about simply saying when are people at their best? When are they at their most competent? When are they thinking the most succinctly? And it's not at 81 years old. I promise you that. It's not. And I don't need to be a doctor to come to that conclusion. <laughs> Guns and Roses tickets are a half hour away. Five seven six seven seven ten. How you join us? Pete Mundo on a Thursday. A rainy Thursday again on KCMO. A couple of funny points on the text line. 816-576-7710. Rainy, gloomy day across Kansas City once again. It feels like it's been this way the whole week. Um, But anyway, I was talking about this before the break, and that is the idea of a competency test for politicians, what to do about them. Mitch McConnell fell yesterday, 81 years old. He's in the hospital today. It's like, you know, we're going to be short centers. We're going to be short Congress members because half of them are going to be in the hospital uh, at any given time because, you know, they're all or too many of them are in their 80s or approaching their 80s. It's crazy. So I like this on the text line. Pete, we need a three falls and you're out rule. That's <laughs> Could you imagine? And then you got to like go to the uh, replay, go to the booth. Was that a fall or was that a trip or who caused the fall? Looks like he grabbed the rail just in time there, Pete. <laughs> oh, that would be hysterical. <laughs> That'd be great. Now, that was just a simple ankle twist. Yeah, let's go to Dean Blandino. <laughs> hey, Dean, what do you got for us? Well, you know, uh, we're going to call that one a fall. McConnell's out. He's yep. done. The crowd goes wild. Woo! Woo! Doesn't maintain control to the ground. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Three falls and you're out rule. Oh, that's good. But this is on a more serious note on, on these politicians just being ancient. Pete, talk about not growing old gracefully. Most 80-year-olds who are normal want to spend more time with their family and their grandkids. That's a great point. Now, I know, you know, as a younger person myself, um, what do they always say? You know, days go slow, years go fast. Before you know it, you blink, you're 40, 60, 80. And when you're 80, I don't know what it's like to be 80. But although I could identify as an 80-year-old, right? I mean, you can be whatever you want now. Um, I got to imagine that when you get to that age, if you've made it that far in life, God bless you, you become more reflective because it's inevitable that you start thinking about the end. How could you not? I mean, you know, you start to see people around you passing away. They're gone. Uh, God willing, maybe you still have your spouse. Maybe you don't. But you start thinking about the end. And if you're thinking about it, 81 years old, being a power-hungry politician, that's just not normal to me, John. There's nothing normal about that. Yeah, I think you're right. Even in my age where I'm sitting here going, uh, we're playing with house money now. I'm on the <laughs> other side of halfway, you know, right? <laughs> I, I'll take your word for it. Yeah. But that's... Oh, no, you do. You go, wait, it's March already? It was just 2019. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it makes, it makes sense to me 
And I'm sure that, you know, John's still got 20 years before he hits that point, give or take. Uh, you start to get in that mindset, I would imagine. And that doesn't mean that you don't do anything and you just sit around and you think about the old days. It doesn't mean that's what you do. But I would imagine your values change. Even if you're somebody who's super motivated, who is, uh, you know, type A, you keep that going at 80 because you're driven by power and politics and ego. That isn't normal. And I'm not saying that, you know, you have to be normal to be in politics. There's something about a drive that makes you not normal and makes you want to succeed to a certain point. But it's not healthy for the country. You know, you've reached that point where you say, hey, you know, dinner at four is not such a bad idea now. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to mess with the crowd. Hey, I do that. What does that say about me? Well, you're getting there. Yeah. That's well, that's practical. Uh, yeah. No, you trust start me. To be, you convince yourself you're being more practical. Why didn't I realize this 40 years ago? <laughs> That might just be having two little kids and waking up early. But at 531, I'm like, we're a minute late. I'm hungry. What's going on here? All right. Uh, let's get to you at 5767710. Uh, let's say hi to Victor. He is in Parkville on KCMO. Victor, good morning. What's hey, happening? Good morning. Good morning, Pete. And I'm sure John will relate to this. Hey, there's a senior buffet at Golden Corral, one of the benefits, man. <laughs> Right, you got to get there early for the shrimp. There you go. <laughs> All right, Boomer. You know what? What's next? Over, over, and above the uh, competency test. How about we give every member who's being elected to Congress a basic civics test, and in under, and making sure that they have an understanding of the Constitution, the workings of the government, and oh, I don't know, the law. Let me ask you this. I, I would. Uh, what do you sure. think? All right, if who do the politicians? at large in D.C., are they more likely to fail the competency test or the Constitution test? I, I like I don't know the answer. I'm just curious because that's a good point. Uh, I would say the Constitution test because those people who would fail the competency test are the old farts that never would have passed the, the Constitution test in the first place. Mm, yeah, that's a good point, too. Well said there, Victor. So you want a competency test and a Constitution test? Sure. Sure. Right. Hey, how about a mental acuity test where they actually have to stand and put touch their uh, fingers to their nose? Yeah, I think we should do like a. Yeah, I, I'm telling you, this is NFL Combine style. We got the whole thing yeah. mapped out over like two or three days. This is getting do good. Right, have, have them do it. Have them doing it, riding a bicycle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now you're asking for a lot. I like it though, Vic. Who's there? Our, we go. Talk to you later, Pete. Have a good weekend. See you, man. Who's our Mel Kuyper? That's what I want to know. That, that could be Mark. Mark could be our Mel Kuyper as he's kind of breaking these things down. Ah, you know, I thought Bernie might have been a first rounder. He's down to a third rounder based on that, uh, you know, competency test. His uh, mental acuity slipped him down to the third round. Yeah. <laughs> we got this whole thing mapped out. This is great. Make him take the Wonderlick test. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All you got to do is score higher than Jameis Winston, who I think had the worst uh, Wonderlick test in the history of NFL quarterbacks, as I recall. Um, yeah, I think you get credit for putting your name on the page. I'm not sure yeah. if you got that far. Although, you know, I think John Elway had an awful Wonderlick test, if I'm remembering that right. Uh, he was... You know, John Elway, to his credit, he's branded himself well. You go to that airport out there in Denver, which is a hellhole. Uh, you got John Elway all over the place. The guy's got steakhouses and wines and the whole thing. He's gotten pretty far for a guy who got like a six on the Wanderlick, if I'm remembering that story correctly. The guy from Stanford with a six. Oh, yeah. No, I, I'm telling you. He's a, 
Yikes. I think it was pretty low. I'm pretty sure L.A. Or maybe, no, I'm sorry, Dan Marino. I knew it was one of those guys. He had an awful wonderlick. That's what it was. Dan Marino oh, had okay. a terrible wonderlick. All right. And that doesn't surprise me because remember he had like mm-hmm. a, a one-year TV stint and totally bombed out. Yep. It was really bad. Um, all right, let's see what's on the text line here because there's, there's a ton of good stuff rolling in. Pete, there are federal age caps for commercial pilots at 65. I'd rather have a 75-year-old pilot than a 75-year-old president. Uh, that's a toss-up. I don't like the idea of either, to be honest. <laughs> I, I think 70 is a sweet spot for a pilot. At 75, I'm worried about a mid-flight nap happening once you get to 75. That, that would concern me. But 70, I think, is safe. If you can defend yourself in the quit hitting yourself game, you ever do that? The big brother, little brother, you just hit him with his own hand. Quit hit yourself. <laughs> you can defend that. Then you can get. Then you can go. Then you're good. Then you're clear. I like that. We are going to give away our second to last pair of Guns and Roses tickets, Kauffman Stadium in September, coming up in 15 minutes on a KCMO Talk Radio. Do not miss that. Uh, You saw a lot of headlines on local news last night about the future of the Big 12 tournament here in Kansas City. They're all ripping off of yours truly. I'll explain why. We've got the audio next. And we also have to ask the questions that the rest of the Kansas City media won't. Not just the hard-hitting political questions of our local and regional politicians. Not just those. Even if they won't answer them, we have to ask them here on KCMO. We also do it on uh, the sports side of things. So if you watched any local TV news last night, which I know can be a bore at times, but if you did, uh, you might have seen obviously a lot of coverage from the Big 12 tournament uh, that started last night. The men's tournament started last night. Women uh, get going today. Municipal Auditorium for the women, T-Mobile for the men. Always a great scene here in town. So the Big 12's got this new commissioner, Brett Yormark, and um, spent some time last night with Brett catching some hoops, watching some basketball. Great guy. Uh, big fan of Kansas City so far. It's his first year on the job. Before he became Big 12 commissioner, if you don't know Brett Yormark's background, uh, you want to talk about successful. Uh, this guy helped move the NBA's New Jersey Nets to the Brooklyn Nets. He helped with that. Um, he was really fundamental in making that happen in the NBA. And then, most recently, he was the COO of Rock Nation, which is Jay-Z's company. And now he's the Big 12 commissioner. So this is not like your typical athletic director who then becomes a commissioner. This typical university bureaucrat who then becomes a commissioner of a league after putting in his 35, 40 years. This guy is a driven, aggressive businessman who has brought that mentality to the Big 12, which this league desperately needed in the wake of all the conference realignment. So I got to know him a little bit more last night. Great guy, sharp guy. Watched some basketball together. We spent about the uh, most of the first half of the West Virginia-Texas Tech game watching hoops. Got some photos up on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram if you want to see it there. But um, he's got a great vision for this conference and for this league. So before the game started last night, he had this press availability. And, you know, a lot of people talked about conference expansion and realignment and those things. And those are good questions. But I'm sitting there, you know, it's about 6 o'clock last night, or I guess it was 5 o'clock. We're wrapping up uh, the press conference. And I said to him, I said, what about Kansas City? What about the future of this tournament staying here in Kansas City? And I'm shocked. I'm trying to let my TV counterparts ask these questions, but, you know, they're not doing the job. 
So then, of course, I got to come in. I got to clean up their mess. And I got to ask the question that everybody <laughs> wants to know, John. That's what we have to do here on KCMO. So I asked Brett Yormark, the Big 12 commissioner, I said, hey, the Big 12 is contracted to have the tournament here through 2027. What would it take to keep it here? There's rumors that, you know, the Big 12 may want to bounce this tournament around to go to Orlando now that UCF is in the league or, you know, if they expand out west, go to Phoenix or something like that. How do we keep this tournament here in Kansas City? Here's what he said about it. Well, I haven't really considered moving this tournament obviously this is, I'm, I'm, this is my first experience and i've heard wonderful things about the fan support the community the engagement how they rally around this uh, this tournament uh, for this building in particular it's probably one of the biggest weeks of the year um, i met with the staff here at the building yesterday they're very passionate about this tournament uh, um, so I, I really haven't thought about an alternative I'm really here to experience it for the first time, but from what I've seen and from the people I've spoken to, it's a great fit for our conference. Uh, you know, w- walking around, you know, the, the community, Power and Light District, uh, you know, the, the engagement, the activation, supporting our conference is fantastic. And we don't need to share our voice with anyone else. Uh, as I said earlier, you look at Vegas, and there's four or five tournaments going on there right now. And, you know, we own this great city, you know, f- throughout the week, and it feels really good. So this is home, and it's home through 27, and I don't see why we wouldn't continue beyond that. All right, that's good stuff. That's what you want to hear if you're a Kansas Cityan. And this is a big week. This really isn't a sports story. This is a big week for businesses, obviously, in town. You've got fan bases from all over the league, obviously. Um, you know, you've got uh, Iowa State fans who come down and drink the city at a bush light. You have folks coming up from Texas Tech, TCU, Oklahoma State. And then, of course, you know, next year with the four new teams coming in, it's going to be quite a scene here. Kansas City needs to do everything it can to keep this tournament here. I think it's vitally important. The problem is the weather has stunk, as Quinton Lucas noted Last hour, the last couple of years, the weather's been horrible for this tournament here in town. And it's always like the week before the Big 12 tournament, the weather's great. Last week, 60, 65, sunny, outstanding. And now I don't think we've seen the sun since what, Sunday, John? Last time we saw the sun here in town? (laughs) Yeah. Regardless of the weather, though, to bring up the great point that this is what's going on this week in Kansas City. When you go to Orlando, it's like, I go to Disney World and the Wax Museum over here. Yeah. And, right? Yeah. Fit in 18 holes before right? the game. You go to Phoenix, you can golf all day or yes. whatever, you know? This city It's what's going on it. this week. Yeah. Absolutely. You, you know it. Yeah. You're right about that. And I think that Brett Yormark realizes that. And I hope that as the week goes on, he realizes this more and more that this community, this town, embraces the Big 12 tournament in a unique way as a major city that you're not going to get anywhere else. Even if you go to Dallas, it's not going to be the same in Dallas, no, right? right? It's not. Oklahoma City or anywhere. No. Right? No. I mean, they tried that. They tried that, right? And it didn't go well for them. Attendance wasn't the same. Now, I know that Kansas and Kansas State and Iowa State drive a lot of the attendance. Their teams are usually pretty good. But guess what? That's what this is about. It's about business. It's about putting fans in the seats, making money, and um, you know, making sure that this is something that works for everybody. It was funny last night, So, uh, and just to take you behind the scenes a little bit, uh, 
media used to sit at the Big 12 tournament right courtside, right behind the announcers. And Brett Yormark came in, the new Big 12 commissioner, and he moved everybody up to the rafters, which is where media is supposed to be. They have a whole media row there, and he's selling the seats courtside. Now, I don't blame him. He's running a business. If you can sell seats for $1,000 a pop courtside where the media used to sit, guess what? Sell the seats and throw the media up top. Well, a lot of local media and and regional media people have been very offended by this. Oh, of man. course. Oh, my we courtside We used to just pull up seats. to the curb. I know. <laughs> my courtside seat is not here anymore. They're outraged. Grow up. Get over yourself. There's no sympathy for the media guy being put in the rafters. See the game like a fan. Yeah, it's like, the, and they're going on Twitter and their social media pages, and they're like complaining and crying about it. Shut up. Nobody wants to hear from you. There's no sympathy for media at all in general right now. And these guys think that the fans are going to be on their side because they lost their courtside seat and now they're, you know, upstairs. Grow up. Talk about not having the pulse of the moment. Yeah, give them first right of refusal. Get 1500 Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had somebody say that to me yesterday. Uh, they said, hey, Pete, tell, tell any of these media. Are you ready for hard-hitting observations? Reality remains reality, no matter how hard you try to ignore it. The Ben Shapiro Show brings you all the news you need to know in America today. Again, I'm all here for the pop culture, people dating each other for the press. Ben breaks down the culture and never gives an inch. Every so often, and by every so often, I mean literally every 27 seconds where the producer gets fired. The Ben Shapiro Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. Media guys that are complaining, tell them we'll give them four seats for four grand. We'll give them a little discount. They can sit courtside and have a great time. It's it's so pathetic. Media people thinking they're so important. Yeah, these guys would never spend money on a ticket. No, that's <laughs> the other thing, too. Oh, gosh. Some of these old school media heads are just, oof. Uh, Got to check themselves at the door. I'll, I'll leave it that. I'll leave it at that. Get an inside look at Hollywood with Michael Rosenbaum. Let's get inside of my buddy, Kumal Nanjiani. When you talk about Eternals and it wasn't the response that you were hoping, how did that affect you? Marvel thought that we'd be going on a wave of raves, you know, and it wasn't true. The reviews were really bad. And you were aware of it while you were on tour? Yeah, I was too aware of it. And so very intentionally, I did start counseling. Emily says that I do have trauma from it. Inside of you with Michael Rosenbaum. Wherever you listen.